Hello, this is Horace Williams Jr. Thank you for joining me here at the Pleasing to the Pie.com podcast. I'm excited to continue with my review of my new book, The Furnace of Affliction, How God Uses Our Pain and Suffering for His Purpose. Today we're going to be going over chapter 2. And last time we I went over chapter 1, so I'm going to just recap a little bit. At the end of chapter 1, I finished with some destructive sins that interfere with our relationship with God. And those sins were pride, I believe pride, complaining, and selfishness. Yes, and I'm going to just read the last paragraph. Pride, complaining, and selfishness are three sneaky or presumptuous sins that would directly affect our time spent in the furnace of affliction. The purifying process, though necessary, can be piercingly painful as God seeks to remove sin from our lives. And then I have a little quote at the end of the chapter God wants to purify us from sin this is his first step in fulfilling his purpose in our pain okay then I have some refining fire questions at the end of each chapter at the end of chapter one I have are you hurting right now or have you suffered painful situations in the past what type of pain are you experiencing physical emotional or spiritual maybe all of the above Answering these questions is the beginning of seeing God's purpose in your circumstances. Have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, asking Him to forgive you of your sins and cover them within your heart? If you have not, what is holding you back? Please don't wait any longer. That's not in the book. That's just uh, author's paraphrase. <laughs> are you battling any sneaky sins? What sins are you battling that I didn't mention? What is God saying to you about those sins right now? Then I finished the chapter with this verse from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. That's Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Okay, so here we go. We're going to begin chapter 2. God uses our pain and suffering to develop our faith. When we accept Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we experience saving faith. When we believe that Jesus came to earth as a baby and that he died on the cross 33 years later as a sacrifice for our sins, he was raised from the dead and now sits on the throne in, the, in heaven at the right hand of God. However, the moment we made that decision to trust in, God, trust in him as our Savior, we became an enemy of Satan, whose fate was sealed the moment Christ rose from the dead. Satan is fully aware that an eternity in hell awaits him. Satan will bombard us from temptations to steer us away from the path that God has planned. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's Those verses are found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Wow. These three verses give a lot to digest. This passive scripture is one of the first that I committed to memory after my stroke. It reminds me that I am not alone, and I am not the only Christian to experience pain and suffering. And I won't be the last. It also paints a visceral picture of the devil roaming around 
looking for the next meal, someone he can rip into shreds. The beautiful thing about scripture is that regardless of the stark reality God reveals to us in his word, he never leaves us without hope. Our suffering will not last forever. God is using our pain to strengthen us for everything he knows we will encounter in the future. Okay, so we know about saving faith, and as God seeks to strengthen our faith, he develops it through trials. What the devil uses to tempt us, God uses as tests to fortify our faith. Think back to the Israelites and their journey through the desert. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether or not they will walk in my instruction. That's Exodus 16, verse 4. Just as God equips us to defend ourselves against the enemy, our time spent in the furnace of affliction strengthens our faith. Our faith. He desires to elevate us from saving faith to an entirely different level that equips us for the journey called life. Of the many people who come to mind when I think of faith, one of the first is Abram, who became Abraham after God changed his name. He had to go through various stages of faith before God could accomplish everything he intended in Abraham's life. When we first read of Abraham, Abram in the Bible, God had instructed him to leave his family and home. Although Abram had no idea where God was leading him, he went willingly with no questions asked. This is an example of solid faith. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Genesis 12, 1 through 2 and 4. The Bible makes no mention of Abram calling friends for their thoughts on what God instructed him to do. He did not check his horoscope in the paper while drinking his morning coffee. He just went. Abraham passed the test with flying colors. Faith takes time to develop. So prepare yourself to spend time in the furnace throughout your life. God is always on God, always, God is always at work on your transformation from a sinner headed to hell to a sainted vessel that he can use for his glory. Now we have another subtitle, Strong Faith. God promised Abraham and his wife Sarah that they would have a son, even though they were both advanced in age. He was approaching 100 years old and Sarah was not far behind. Abraham believed the Lord, and the Bible states it was counted to him as righteousness. Genesis 15:6. Strong faith is empowering, and God desires much more for us. He wants to take us higher. Remember our adversary, the devil? He has not forgotten about you and me. Two favorite weapons that Satan uses to attack and destroy us are doubt and discouragement. Though Abraham believed God after 10 years of waiting for a child, he and Sarah became discouraged. He listened to his wife's suggestion and had sexual relations with his wife's maid, Hagar, in a foolish attempt to have the child God had promised. Hagar did become pregnant and gave birth to a son, but that was not the heir that God was referring to in his promise to Abraham. Be on the alert as you journey on the path God has for you. The fires will burn hotter and the tests and trials will go harder as your faith develops. Even when our faith is strong, we are not immune from stumbling and falling flat on our face. Trust me, I speak from experience. 
Amen. Satan is not omniscient, but he has his minions, or rather his demons, everywhere. Just like any confident general in an army, Satan studies his opponent. He diligently watches and observes us. He may not tempt us to do something foolish like rob a bank, but he might plant seeds, prompting us to lose our focus on God's plan. Think back to the Garden of Eden. Satan did not say to her, Hey Eve, do you want to disobey God and be eternally separated from him? Would you like to be forced to experience unbearable pain during childbirth and be thrown out of the garden forever? He was devious. Satan planted seeds of doubt in her mind as he questioned what God had said to Adam. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you should not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has, not, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. After we get past the fact that Eve was chatting up with a snake, we need to recognize that this is how Satan works. He is an accuser. The devil plants seeds of doubt in our heads as he attacks our minds. He wants us to question our salvation, our relationship with Christ, and everything we do in service to him. During high school, I allowed the devil to plant his seeds. I had a great circle of friends. I was a superstar athlete in football and became an all-star as a basketball player. I had trophies everywhere at home in recognition of my athletic, athletic achievements. High school was one of the most enjoyable times of my life, until it wasn't. Some of my closest friends were older than me, and I had a strong desire to graduate with them and not be left behind. I committed myself to graduating three years instead of four. My school workload was heavy, as were the responsibilities of all my athletic endeavors. Along came the enemy to tempt me to make the wrong choices, which I did. I wasn't kicked out of the garden, quote-unquote, but I was denied the privilege of walking with my graduating class due to cheating. It was humiliating, painful, and one of the worst moments of my young life. All my friends graduated on time, and I spent three months in summer school to get my diploma. I never saw any of those close friends again after that. I share this heartbreaking story to remind us how easy it is to make the wrong choices. God has chosen us to be a vital part of his family. However, for us to be vessels that he can use, he continues to develop our faith. Now, just because we stumble and fall does not mean that God will discard us. He is shaping us into the people he wants us to be. After my experience in high school, I learned that life doesn't have any shortcuts. Anything of value must be earned through hard work, dedication, and preparation. More than 35 years have passed since those events, and I think twice, even three times, <laughs> about that time before making similar choices. God's developing my Christian character and strengthening my faith. I don't need to cut corners that put my faith and trust in Him. Another one of my favorite people in the Bible to draw encouragement from is Joseph. His faith is an inspiration to me. God took him through several trials and tested to develop his faith as well. He was the second youngest of his twelve sons, and his father Jacob showed favored him by giving him a beautiful coat of many colors. His brothers hated him with their passion. See Genesis 37 4. Some of them even wanted to kill him, 
Eventually, they concocted a plan to get rid of their sibling. After he was thrown in a pit by his brothers, Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver to traders on their way to Egypt. Can you envision being sold into slavery by your own family? Imagine just confusing at that moment. God had blessed him with two dreams earlier in his life, indicating that someday his family would bow down to him. Instead, Joseph found himself dragged off to another country as a slave. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Genesis 39, verse 1. However, God stayed by Joseph's side. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from that time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on the account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in the house and in the field. Well, 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 things were certainly looking up for Joseph. Potiphar had put him in charge of his home. He was running things like a boss. Maybe those dreams would become a reality. Even in the midst of trials, God is always with us. Everything that takes place in our lives has a purpose. There's new randomness with God. And I'm just going to make a point there. Please, I'm going to read that back again. Even in the midst of trials, God is always with us. Everything that takes place in our lives has a purpose. There is no randomness with God. Meditate on that. At this point in our faith development, God is making us stronger for what lies ahead. God will test our hearts, my friend, repeatedly, consistently, and yet so lovingly. His desire is not to harm us, but to help us become more like Christ. The test will be painful at times, but we will reap the benefit of a stronger faith. Even though Joseph's master thought so much of him that he put him in charge of his household, Potiphar's wife had other ideas for Joseph's. She thought Joseph was handsome and wanted to have sex with him. She repeatedly pursued him to sleep with her. Despite his objections, Joseph wanted to be faithful. Despite, sorry about that. She she repeatedly pursued him to sleep with her despite his objections. Joseph wanted to be faithful to his master and not sin against God. Sorry, screen jump. Potiphar's wife attacked Joseph and accused him of trying to rape her. He was then unjustly sent to prison, but once again, God stayed by his side. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were, were confined. And he was there in the jail, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Do you notice a theme here? Even though God is allowing Joseph to go through these painful experiences, God is always with him. He was prospering in the midst of these trials. As we spend difficult times in the furnace of affliction while God develops our faith, think of Joseph and what he experienced. And remember, everything has a purpose. 
After several years in prison, the feeling as if he had been forgotten. Joseph was called before Pharaoh to interpret some dreams. After correctly interpreting the Pharaoh's dreams, Joseph was made second in command. He was now the prime minister over all of Egypt. He had been given complete control and was one of the most powerful men in the world. Every painful trial and test he endured had a purpose. God was preparing Joseph for his ultimate station to be the leader of a country that provided food for the Israelites during the famine. This was the birth of a nation which led to his 11 brothers traveling to Egypt and unwillingly bowing before him to progress food for their families. Shazam! God just brought everything full circle for Joseph. James 1, 2-4 is another one of my favorite scriptures that I memorized after my stroke. It was difficult to understand at first, but God has clarified these truths for me since then. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When I first read this verse, I was like, joy? Really, God? How can I have joy in the midst of my painful trials? But God's not asking us to, as Christians to joke and laugh during our tests. He's asking us to have joy knowing that the purpose of our trials is to draw us into a deeper relationship and commitment to Christ. Perfect and complete does not mean that we will be without sin. Only God has no sin. But this is the ultimate level of faith that God wants us to, wants to develop in us. It's the type of faith that I desire to experience on a daily basis. And that face is, drumroll, another subtitle, exquisite faith. Impeccable and perfect are two words that define the word exquisite. Another word that applies when it comes to this level of faith is refined. God has us in the refining fire, developing our faith. He desires our faith to be exceptional so that we can accomplish everything he has planned for us. That is why we must have joy in the midst of our trials. We know God is preparing us for something and he wants what is best for us. He promises that all things will work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. This scripture is referring to working together for what God sees as good, not what we feel is good in our eyes. I'm sure Joseph did not think that being a slave and an accused rapist was good, but it was all part of God's perfect plan for his life. Exquisite faith is living in obedience without any doubting, a faith with full confidence in God, no matter our circumstances or our feelings. When we give ourselves over to our feelings and follow them, we usually end up in trouble. It is a constant battle for me not to live according to my desires. I'm reminded of my last job interview in 20, 2005. The interviewers asked me to tell them my greatest strength and my greatest weakness. I said that was easy. They were the same thing, my emotions. Just as I can quickly get fired up about a project and enthusiastically hit the ground running, I can also allow those same emotions to send me into a downward spiral, wanting to cancel every account I ever worked on that week. We can't live a victorious Christian life by trusting our feelings. God wants us to live by our li- God wants us to live our life trusting in Him. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11 An example of exquisite faith is shown by my main man, Abraham. God has blessed him and his wife Sarah with a child as promised. However, 
God later gave Abraham the ultimate test. He commanded him to take his own head, take his son Isaac up on a mountain and sacrifice him on the altar. Say what? Abraham awakened early the next morning to do just as God had commanded. It was a three-day journey to the place of sacrifice, so he had plenty of time to change his mind. However, Abraham pressed forward without any doubts. He is prepared to sacrifice the heir God had promised him. After seeing Abraham's willingness to obey him, however, God intervened and prevented Abraham from killing Isaac. Some additional examples of exquisite faith come to mind. I think about Queen Esther, whose faith in God shone brightly in the boldness she exhibited in saving the Israelites from extermination. Her story inspires me every time I read it. Love, Esther. Ruth's story also moves me. Her faith in God was courageous. She is the great-grandmother of King David and is forever in the lineage of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I recall another woman who is sometimes forgotten. She does not even have a name, or at least it is not mentioned in the Bible. She is known as a woman with the issue of blood. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years and was able to receive any help from physicians despite spending all her money. Whew, I can relate. She determined that if she could get through the massive crowds following Jesus, she would be relieved of her ailment. She's not even seeking to speak with him. Now that is faith without any doubt. For she was saying to herself, if I can only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. Matthew 9, 22, 21 and 22. Your faith has made you well. Wow. Those were words I desperately want to hear from Jesus as a walk of the Christian life. We must have determined courage as God develops our faith during the pain and suffering in our lives. Part of God's purpose in our pain and suffering is developing and strengthening our faith. So as we are crossing that bridge of faith and it continues to shake violently, let's hold on tight and keep our eyes on Jesus. He is right there with us, holding our hands, helping our faith to go stronger every day. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Then my final quote in this chapter 2 is, Exquisite faith is living in obedience without any doubting, a faith with full confidence in God, no matter our circumstances or our feelings. Now my refining fire questions for this chapter is, where are you in your faith walk? Are you still in the infancy of your Christianity, living only in saving faith, or are you progressing to a more mature level? Question number two, what areas in your life are vulnerable to Satan and his followers as they watch your faith walk with Christ? And then question number three, where is your level of joy in the midst of your trials? Are you living by faith in God or by your feelings? My scripture verse at the end of this chapter is found in Hebrews 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I must admit that 
writing and talking about faith is one of my favorite things to do. In my two books that I've written, I have enjoyed writing the faith chapters the most of all, probably. I hope that you were blessed in the reading of this chapter two and you were inspired to go out and get the book and not only get it, but to read it, read it through. I know it will give you some hope and encouragement. Uh, people are buying the book, but they're not reading it for some reason. I don't know why, um, but I pray that the Lord will put on people's hearts to read the book because it will encourage your heart. It will give you some hope and give you some perspective in those painful situations in life. So I thank you for taking the time to sit here and listen to me read chapter two. I hope that you were blessed by this. Join us next week for chapter three, and I'll give you a little preview. Chapter three is God use our pain and suffering to demolish our pride. I'll talk to you soon. Keep your eyes on Christ and God bless.